We're continuing our message series called Following as we're talking about Jesus calling the imperfect. You know, the reality is we're just a whole bunch of messed up people, myself included, trying to get through this world. Let me tell you about how messed up I really am. When I was a teenager, I, uh, one of my side jobs was I babysat neighborhood kids. And we had some neighbors that, that, for some crazy reason, they called me to go babysit. And I remember this one night in particular, we were babysitting one of the neighbors, I was babysitting one of the neighbors' houses. They had two kids, and we were set up to watch a movie, and they're downstairs. And they won popcorn. So their mom and their dad left those uh, microwavable popcorn upstairs for us to make during the movie time. So I ran upstairs to make popcorn. And let me just be honest with you. First of all, I wasn't one of the smartest teenagers. I'm just going to be honest. With you. I'm not, you're probably thinking, Bill, you're not that smart now anyways. You know? Well, I wasn't that smart back then. And I never really, this was one of my first times. You, today we laugh, but at that time it was like my first time to really deal with microwavable popcorn. You know, it's like, what, all these buttons on the microwave, how to do it. So I threw it in there, hit a few buttons, hit start, and it was popping, and I ran to get some other stuff together, and all of a sudden I began to smell it. You ever smell like the burnt popcorn that just overtakes like the whole house? Well, it started to stink up the whole house, and the microwave still had like three minutes left to go. You know, I was like, what's going on? I ran there, I turned it off, and I realized I like burnt the popcorn to the crisp, the house stunk like it was about to burn down. And I was just thinking, oh no. And I began to panic. I thought, I am in so much trouble. Like, they're going to come home and think I'm like the worst babysitter ever. Because I burnt the popcorn. I stunk up the whole house. And I began to panic. Like, what do I do? So I did what every panicked teenager would do. I grabbed the popcorn. I ran to the front yard. And I threw the popcorn all over the front yard to try to hide the evidence. And then before I knew it, I looked over the whole front yard, and I realized, oh no, their whole front yard's now full of popcorn. And I began to panic even more, what did I just do? And I spent the next 30 minutes trying to clean up as best I could, pick up all the popcorn kernels all over their front yard. Literally, this was like 45 minutes just to make a two-minute popcorn. And I finally get back inside. I'm sweating because I couldn't get all the popcorn. I'm thinking, I'm busted. They're going like, to call the police or something because I have popcorn all over the front yard. The house smells like burnt popcorn. This is just horrible. And finally, I made another batch of popcorn. And I took it down to the kids. And the movie was over by this point. And I thought, what happened to our popcorn? You know, how often do we do that? We make mistakes and we just compile it with more mistakes to try to hide the reality that, boy, I'm messed up. I'm imperfect. You know, the truth be told, we're just a bunch of imperfect people making some poor choices. That's sin. That's the sin struggle we face. And this sin struggle, these imperfections have a tendency to just consume us and control our lives and control who we are. You see, this sin struggle, these imperfections have a tendency to dwell within us and sometimes causing us to make even bigger issues, even bigger problems as we attempt to mask our imperfections. Kind of like throwing popcorn all over our front yard. That's a true story. I really did that. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. But you know, this is the reality of guilt. We all have it. 
We all wrestle with it. I bet it's safe to assume that at least 99% of you all sitting here right now or watching online at some level are saying, I'm overwhelmed with guilt. And how we respond to our guilt matters. It makes a diff- big difference because our guilt is our response to our imperfections, our sin struggles. And how we deal with that, how we, um, how we focus on that, we all look at it differently. Some of us deal with our imperfections as we just allow it to become embarrassment in our lives and we just allow the guilt to consume us. And before you know it, you isolate yourself from others all around you. Or you just try to hide it. You try to throw popcorn all over the front yard, try to mask the fact that you burnt the popcorn. And reality is, I can't really hide my sin. The Bible says your sin will find you out. Sooner or later, you think you're all tricky that you're hiding your sin, but it's going to catch up with you. That's just what the Bible teaches, and I've found that out in too many ways, and maybe you have as well. Or we try to downplay our imperfections, like it's not that big of a deal. Maybe it's not that big of a sin. Maybe it's not a sin at all. I mean, I'm not as bad as that guy over there, and then we downplay it. And so we respond to our imperfections one of those, one of those ways, but what it really boils down to is guilt. You see, we all view our imperfections. And then we respond to the guilt because of our imperfections in different ways. Whether you realize it or not, you are wrestling with guilt. I am wrestling with guilt. We all do. And at some level, in different ways, we just carry this load of guilt. And how you deal with your guilt affects you in so many ways probably in ways that you don't even realize it. Ways that maybe other people are seeing it, that you have blinders on, you don't even see it anymore. The reality of guilt. You see, as guilt overwhelms us, as guilt consumes us, it affects our view of God, it affects our worldview, and it also affects how we move forward. Your guilt is like your glasses. It begins to affect how you view everything around you. And then the lie is to begin to believe that the imperfections that you have in your life, your sin struggles, is really just a part of you. You can't do anything about it. So you either not need to just deal with it or just live with it, or you downplay it like it's not a sin at all anyway. So just enjoy life. And you fall into trap in one of those key ways. And then before you know it, your guilt has consumed you. And controls you and beats you down. You see, we all look at the verse that Paul wrote in Romans 3. In Romans 3.23, Paul wrote these words. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then verse 24. And all have justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. See, rightfully so, we lock in on we all have sinned. And we look at that verse and we we just kind of center in on that verse and we start to pile it on that we are sinners. This statement is true. This statement is accurate. But here's the problem. We just so focus on that, we miss the reality and the complete picture of what Paul is trying to say in those words. You see, the knowledge of this fact that we are sinners develops guilt within us. And what guilt you have in your heart affects how you view God and how you move forward. 
know, how we respond with guilt is really a significant thing. You either respond it with, with your guilt either responds with pride. You know what? I'd stop judging me. Don't, don't call out my sin. It's not that big of a deal. Look, what you're, look how you're wrong. Look how you're messed up. And you just allow your guilt to respond with pride. And you never take ownership of your imperfections. Or you allow your guilt to respond with hopelessness. I can't do anything about it. It's just so strong of an imperfection of a sin struggle that it's just beat me down and I just build walls of isolation because I can't do anything else. Or you allow your guilt to respond with motivation towards hope. See, we all wrestle with guilt, but what we allow our guilt to respond us towards matters. And we all look at the verse, we all have sinned. That's a true statement. But the second half of that verse is just as important as the first part. See, we are justified freely. How? By God's grace that's given to us through Jesus. If all you do is read Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, and you don't look at this verse 24, you've missed the picture. You've seen truth, but you haven't seen the promise. You see, the truth is we're imperfect. We're a whole bunch of messed up people throwing popcorn in the front yard trying to hide their imperfections. And then we just allow that just to say, well, there's nothing I can do about it. Stop judging me. Leave me alone. I'm going to build this wall. Rather than allowing our guilt to drive us towards the promise, and his name is Jesus. Your guilt will either cause you to isolate yourself or motivate you towards a relationship that will transform your life. You know, we think, well, because of my guilt, because of my shame, if you only knew what I did last night, I'm just not good enough. I, I can't be what God wants me to be. We see his standards. We see what we're, he's calling us to. And it's like, I can't do that. I can't achieve that. You're right. You can't. That's why Jesus came. Jesus never said, do it on your own. He said, I want to come do it through you. You know, we so focus so much on our shortcomings, on our failures, trying to convince ourselves that what we're dealing with is not that big of a deal or we can't overcome it, that we miss out on the promise of hope. And Jesus is calling the imperfect. You see, there is hundreds and millions of people in the Bible that Jesus used and they were all messed up people just like me and just like you. There's only one perfect person and his name was Jesus. And he's the transformer. You don't have to go very far, but just to look at the 12 disciples. Jesus called these 12 men. He called these 12 messed up men. And he said, you are who I'm going to hang out with for the next three years. And you are who are going to change the world. You're going to change the world. I mean, just, have you ever even looked at who these men were that Jesus called? There was Peter. Peter was uneducated. He, by the world's standards, you're not smart enough. You're not getting anywhere in this world. But Jesus said, I want you. And Peter made a lot of mistakes. But guess what? Because of Jesus, he became one of the most courageous leaders this world has ever known. There was the brothers, James and John who Jesus rebuked more than one time as you read the Gospels because they just kept messing it up. They were so self-focused that they kept missing Jesus. 
There was Matthew. Matthew was a despised tax collector. He worked for the Romans. And in fact, he worked for the Romans in such a way that he cheated out his fellow countrymen just to make an extra buck. And so everybody that sat around the small group with him thought, I don't like you. I mean, I remember you cheated me last year. You said I owed 50 bucks for tax, but I only owed 30. Where's my 20 bucks? And then there was Simon the Zealot. You know what it meant to be a zealot? He was a rebel. His ambition in life was, I hate the Romans, and I want to do everything I can politically to drive them out. I want, a, I want an uprising against the Roman power. And so just think about having a small group. You have Matthew, who worked for the Roman Empire, who cheated everybody out, his fellow countrymen, sit right next to Simon, who his whole focus politically was, I hate you because you work for the Romans, and I'm going to throw you. Try having that small group. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. But there they were. Then there was Thomas. Thomas was the doubter. Thomas was the one who was like, ah, Jesus, I just don't buy it. I, I don't get it. I don't really think, I mean, it sounds really cool, Jesus, but I just don't buy what you're saying. Can you prove it to me? And he was called the doubter for that reason. Not far behind him was Philip. Philip was just as bad. Jesus, I don't get it. Yeah, it's, we're two years in and I still don't get it, Jesus. I, are you really who you say you are? And then there was those who were not mentioned as much, much, the quiet, the less mentioned disciples, Andrew, Nathaniel, Thaddeus, James. And you look at these men who Jesus said, you're a bunch of imperfect, mess up people. By the world's standards, you will never get along. But because of me, I will justify you. I will transform your perfections into something significant. And you will change the world. And he took these 12 men. He knew their faults. He knew their sins. He knew their problems, their shortcomings, and all the baggage that came with them. And said, I want you. You know what's so awesome about that? When I just look at the 12 disciples, is I look at me and my problems, my sin, my baggage. And if he called those 12 knuckleheads and he chose them and used them, he can use me too. And he can use you. There's no excuse that we can use to separate us from the reality of what God wants to do in your life and through your life. But it all comes down with us needing to be honest with our imperfections. Being honest with the reality of who we are outside of him. We all have sin. Stop getting prideful and pointing fingers like, don't you dare judge me. Let's be honest with ourselves. We've all sinned. And we need to be honest with what that is. Being real with what that is. Because if we're not honest with it, we won't have healthy guilt that motivates us towards Jesus. Rather, we will be consumed by unhealthy guilt. Because guilt is such a powerful response that either motivates us towards Jesus or drags us down into the pit of despair. That's what guilt does. 
And so how you respond to your guilt makes a significant difference in how you view God, the world, and how you move forward. And too many of us have allowed our faith to be stalled because our hearts are consumed with unhealthy guilt. You see, my friends, unhealthy guilt blurs the reality of grace. That's what it does. If our hearts are so consumed with unhealthy guilt, we have the inability to see the reality of grace in action. You see, unhealthy guilt, you know what it does? It just condemns us. It knocks us down. It's misplaced. It's irrational. It leads us to frustration. It points fingers to other people. It, it tries to boost ourselves up while we, build, while we tear other people down. It's anger. It's denial. And it just builds walls. But healthy, biblical guilt, it guides us. It motivates us to the reality that, you know what? I can't do this on my own. That's why I need Jesus. Healthy guilt sees grace. Healthy guilt transforms our attitude into gratitude, into thankfulness. Because I'm a sinner. I am messed up. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. We all make mistakes. We're all imperfect people. And we spend way too much, though, comparing our imperfections to others. Way too much time. Because we use that as a gauge to, well, I'm not that bad. You know, if I'm not like that person. And we use it to either compare or condemn to try to ease up the guilt that we have in our own heart. We deserve death. That's the truth. And we need a savior. That's reality. That's why the verse, we have all sinned, but don't miss the second half, but we are justified by the grace of God that he's given to us. You know, justification is that removal of the sin. It's that, you know, you were once condemned to hell and now you are free of that burden. You are no longer guilty. You are declared not guilty. Why? Because Jesus exchanged it. I mean, it's better than the New York Stock Exchange. Jesus came and said, I want to make an exchange with you. I'm going to take your guilt upon myself and I will give you life. How's that deal? I mean, think about it. That's what the creator of all did, who sent his son to say, I want to make an exchange for you. I will take your guilt and give you life. I just want you to follow me. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, that's what it's all about. When Jesus went to the cross, he took on our sin. God viewed him at that moment. He viewed the son as sinful and disgraceful because Jesus took all that sin off of us and he passed on to us life. And so when he died on the cross, God transformed his view of those who have given their lives over to Jesus, the justified, that they were now righteousness. Righteousness is just a fancy word that means I'm right before God. When I stand before him, I don't have to be embarrassed. I don't have to be ashamed. Why? Because he paid my price. And now I have the opportunity to make that deliberate choice to follow Jesus. 
accepting his gift of grace, being reconciled with him, and being made completely new. You have an opportunity because of this great exchange to have a robust relationship with the creator himself. Isn't that amazing? But here's the problem. We have a tendency to allow our guilt to rule our hearts rather than allowing it to be God's grace that rule our hearts. That's the problem. You know, what rules within your heart? Is it your guilt or is it grace? And your actions, your attitudes, and your life reveal what consumes your heart, whether it's guilt or grace. See, so many of us feel like Peter did the day that Jesus called him. Jesus came to the, to the Sea of Galilee, and Peter was fishing. We talked about this the other week, and Jesus said, come, follow me. And in that moment, we see in Luke 5, 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell to the ground. He fell to the knees of Jesus, and he said, go away from me, Lord. Why? Because I am a sinful man. There, Peter realized the guilt that he had. But you see the difference? His guilt drove him towards Jesus. It motivated him towards Jesus. Because he saw grace. Grace consumed his heart. What rules your heart? Guilt or grace? See, guilt condemns. Guilt, unhealthy guilt condemns. Unhealthy guilt isolates. Unhealthy guilt creates pride in your heart where you think, stop telling me what I'm doing wrong. You just kind of stay away out of my life. Stop judging me. That's when your heart is consumed by unhealthy guilt. But grace, healthy guilt that drives towards grace, gives life. It gives the realization that, you know what? At some level, I need to take ownership that I threw popcorn all over the front yard. I got to own it. I got to own my imperfections. Not so that I can beat myself down, but so that I can realize the truth. The truth is I am a sinner, but because of that, I am justified by Jesus. And I cannot understand the reality of his justification if I'm not honest with myself and my own heart. That's what healthy guilt does. And grace motivates towards life. And so many great rewards. But when guilt blurs grace, then we develop excuses rather than realizing the opportunities. You see, when, when your heart is so full of unhealthy guilt and it blurs the reality of grace, you miss out on all the opportunities and the rewards that Jesus has right in front of you. How he wants to work within your heart, how he wants to work through your life, and the rewards he wants to provide in your life because of that. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a man by the name of Moses. You probably heard about him. Yeah, before he became that great Moses that led the people across the, the Red Sea that split apart and, and towards the promised land, he was a man full of excuses when he met God. There he was at the burning bush and God approached Moses and called him to lead my people out of the slavery of Egypt. That was the mightiest nation of all time, in that, at that time period, I mean. Pharaoh, the most powerful leader. God was saying, you Moses... Go to Pharaoh, the most powerful leader in the land, and tell him to free my people, to let them go. And Moses was like, uh, no. That's not me. I, you got the wrong person. And then you go back and you read Exodus 3 and 4. There, 
Moses just lays out excuse after excuse after excuse as to why he's not the right person. Why God should just back off. And to be honest, I think all the excuses he goes through are excuses that you may have used. I know several of them are excuses I've used in my journey. You know, the first excuse was Moses says, I'm not adequate. I'm too messed up of a person. I mean, I, I just can't do what you're calling me to do. I mean, who really am I, God? I mean, do you know who I am? And God says, Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'll be with you every step of the way. All right. So Moses then comes back with another excuse. I don't know enough. I mean, I, I'm not educated. I mean, I probably need to go to Bible college before I can really go talk to someone about Jesus. I mean, I, I just can't do this. I, I'm not educated enough. I don't know enough. I don't have all the answers. I mean, what if they ask me a question? Like, who's his, who's, what's his name? What am I supposed to answer? I don't know, God. And God says, settle down, Moses. That's Bill's translation. Settle down, Moses. I will provide the words. I'll tell you exactly what you need to say. Just trust me. I'm always going to be with you. And then Moses still came back with another excuse. God, they're not going to take me seriously. I mean, what if they don't believe me? I mean, we can't really see you. We don't, we don't know. I mean, if I just say, God said this, how are they going to really believe me? And they know who I am. They know what I've done. They know the person that I am. I mean, what if they just don't believe me? God says, well... I'm going to be with you, and I'll show them signs. I will reveal myself to them through you, Moses. Just trust me. And then Moses comes back, well, God, I'm not really good with words. I mean, I'm not eloquent with my speech. I mean, it just, the words just don't always come out right. And I'm just going to mess it up. I mean, this is Pharaoh. I mean, he's the greatest leader of the world. And I just, I just don't, I'm not good with my words. And God says, Moses, I'll provide the words for you. I'll give you a voice. I will be your voice, Moses. Just trust me. And Moses really came back to the heart of the issue. In Exodus 4, God, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to go. That's when God got a little mad at him. Said, you're going. You're going. You see, so often I think like Moses, we have all these excuses that just consume us. We look at our imperfections. We harbor all this guilt, all this shame that has either turned into isolation, I'm not good enough, or is transformed into pride. We think too highly of ourselves because we mask the reality of our imperfections that then we just throw all these excuses out to God. Why not you? And we become just like Moses. And so often we miss out on what God wants to do in your hearts. We miss out what God wants to do through your life because we've allowed guilt to win rather than grace. And we don't see his rewards. You see, my friends, God's rewards for us is realized when we take a step towards obedience. That's when it's realized. Moses never fully realized what God wanted to do in his life. Moses never realized the reality of his rewards until he said, all right, I'll go. And so many of us are missing out on the reality of God. 
So many of us are frustrated with God and saying, God, why don't you show up? You say you have all these promises for me. You have all these rewards that you say you want to provide to my life. You say you want to give me a more abundant life. I'm not seeing it when in reality we're just like Moses. We're staying back and saying, God, reveal yourself. Then I'll go. And God's saying, no, that's not how it works. Take the step and I'll reveal myself. And until you take the step of obedience, you will never fully see the rewards that God has for you. You see, we all make decisions in life based upon the rewards that we think we will receive. And so think about that. What rewards do you feel you will receive based upon your own life choices? What do you honestly think your life choices are going to get for you? I know for me, I thought, boy, if I just make this own path, I do it myself, life will be good. And before you know it, I'm throwing popcorn on the front yard. I'm just making up more messed up choices after another. It wasn't until like Moses and like the disciples when I ran towards God, they saw the rewards in my life. And it's not like he just opens the floodgates. Sometimes he does, but more often, you know how he works? I take a step. He reveals himself. I take a step, he shows another reward. I take a step, he shows me a little bit more. See, with every step of obedience, every step of faithfulness, he reveals himself more and more and more. But many of us miss it because we're not willing to take that step. We allow guilt to win in our heart rather than grace. You know, the Bible talks about that we will be repaid for our life choices. Romans 2, it says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. God will, he says, God will repay us for what we've done. What we, you know, when we seek him, when we seek glory and honor and immortality, when we look beyond ourselves, there we find life. But when we become self-seeking and self-focused and reject the truth, there we find destruction. You know, in the Old Testament, there's David and King Saul. David, who was an adulterer, a liar, a murderer, is named in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. Why is that? Because every time he messed up, he made the next right choice and ran back towards the heart of God. Saul was a man who was so self-focused, all about what he wanted. And if you read his story in the Bible, his life ended in complete destruction. You see, are we going to live by grace? Are we going to live by guilt? You know, here's a big problem that we tend to have. Oftentimes we have this guilt and we just don't know what to do with it. And we try to mask it. And we try to build it up and it leads to pride. And then what happens is, because we don't know how to deal with the guilt that's in us, because we don't know how to deal with it, and then we try to mask it with pride, like I'm not that bad, we realize we're not finding the confidence that Jesus promised us. See, the Bible teaches that when we follow Jesus and give our lives over to Jesus, he will provide confidence. We will find our confidence in him. But when we're not with him and we're separated from him and we're living by guilt rather than grace, we're trying to find confidence within our own self. And then guess what happens? In order for you to find confidence in yourself, what do you have to do? Knock other people down. 
goes back to that comparison trap. And we try to find confidence way too often by tearing others down to make ourselves feel better. Why? Because we're living by guilt, not by grace. And we're trying to find confidence. Do you know Jesus dealt with that? Jesus dealt with that too. You know, in, in the story of, in Luke chapter 18, listen to what Jesus had to say. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. You start right there. Self-focused, self-confident, self-absorbed people, let me tell you a story. And he says this, two men went up to a temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I, want you, I, want, I thank you that I am not like the other people, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even like the t- this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Who would you say you identify yourself with in that story? The Pharisee? who thought he was all that, who was so self-absorbed that tried to find his own self-confidence based upon putting other people down? Or the tax collector, who just had nothing else but to be honest. I'm messed up. I'm not perfect. I make a lot of mistakes, and I need you. You know, to effectively deal with our struggle with guilt, we need to be honest with the lies that we tend to feed ourselves that we are either good enough, that, I'm sorry, that we're not good enough, and then we just build these walls, or we, we make ourselves too overly confident of who we are by putting other people down. All those are lies that lead us to destruction. But we need to, we need to be honest with ourselves, and we need to put those lies away and realize the truth, and the truth is this. We are imperfect people with the opportunity to be made perfect through the work of Jesus. That's it. We're a whole bunch of messed up people with the opportunity to be made perfect. Why? Because of Jesus. We all have sinned, but we are justified by his grace. That's grace. So when your spirit tells you that you're not good enough, tell your spirit to quiet down. When your spirit tells you you're all that, you can do it on your own. Tell your spirit to knock it off. Too often we listen to our own heart, our own spirit, and we block out the spirit of God trying to speak into our life. And we don't even recognize his voice anymore. But God is trying to speak into into your life. Why? So that you can live by grace, not by guilt. You can experience him. The Bible says, Paul writes in Colossians 3, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. With all the wisdom, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. You see, the Bible says to let the message of Christ dwell in your hearts. You know what that means? It means let God's word move into your heart. Have you ever, gone, have you ever moved to a new house? It, it can be annoying, isn't it? You pack up all the boxes, you take it to your house, you have to move everything into the new location, kitchen, living room, everywhere else, unpack it all. It's a lot of work, isn't it? But then you dwell in that place. And what the Bible says here is let God's word, his truth, 
dwell in your hearts. In other words, his truth should move into your life. How does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen with, oh, I just, read, I just spent like three seconds to read this Bible verse today. That's not letting it move into your heart. Moving into your heart is I'm spending time in his word. I'm reading it. I'm memorizing it. I'm taking time to meditate on it, just pondering and thinking about it. What does this mean for me and my life and my decisions and my choices? I'm, his heart, his word is moving into my life. And when that happens, then it transforms my life into a life of worship and thanksgiving. You know what the Bible uses here, the word thanksgiving? It means being thanks to the one who gives. That's what the Greek word here means. And so I live my life every day in realization that I don't have anything on my own. That's what we talked about last week. And so I live in absolute gratitude in the reality that everything I have is because of him. And my life and myself. That's living by grace. Where's your heart? Are you living by grace or guilt? If you need to talk to somebody today about what's going on in your heart, maybe it's time for you to be honest with what's going on in your heart. There's going to be someone right in the back there to gauge impact. They're here for you, to pray with you and talk to you about what it is going on and where are some great next steps that you can move beyond living by guilt to really live by grace? Don't leave today if you need to talk to somebody, to talk to somebody. Put on the connect card, I need to talk to somebody, and we will follow up with you this week. But live by grace, not by guilt. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, we just come towards you. Lord, just help us to experience you right now. Father God, I pray for each person here or watching online. I don't know all their stories. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if they are living by guilt and completely isolate themselves in embarrassment or if they're living by guilt in such a way that they become so prideful about themselves that they've masked the reality of their imperfections. Or God, if they're living by grace. But Lord God, I just ask right now that we can all lay our guilt at your feet. That we can be honest with it not so that we beat ourselves down, but so that we can be motivated towards you. And Lord, just drive us towards your grace that we may be justified and be made right and that we may experience the rewards and the life that only you provide. Lord, you are good. And we thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.